1: And now, Hebraic Roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International.
0: Shalom, I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Modern History of Israel. This is part three of the series. On December fifth, 1936, Avraham Tahomi signed an accord with ziev Jabotinsky, the leader of the revisionist movement, making Jabotinsky commander of Ergun. In April of 1937, during the Arab riots, the Ergun split. About half its members returned to the Haganah. The rest formed a new Ergun, which was ideologically linked with the revisionist movement and accepted the authority of its leader, Vladimir Jabotinsky. Jabotinsky was born October 18, in the city of Odessa, Russia. The pogrom against the Jews of Kishinev in 1903 spurred Jabotinsky to undertake Zionist activity. Jabotinsky was deeply impressed by Theodore Herzl. Jabotinsky was elected as a delegate to the Sixth Zionist Congress, the last in which Theodore Herzl participated. After World War I, Jabotinsky became disenchanted when Great Britain severed almost 80% of the British mandate originally designated for a Jewish homeland to create transjordan in 1922 transjordan today is just called jordan disillusioned with britain and angry at zionist acquiescence to british reversals jabotinsky became unhappy with the direction of the zionist movement he was unconvinced that the turks or the arabs would accommodate the aims of zionism so he advocated bolder tactics jabotinsky set about establishing a separate zionist federation based on revision of the relationship between the zionist Movement in Great Britain. This federation would actively challenge Britain policy and openly demand self determination or Jewish statehood. The goals of the revisionist movement included restoration of a Jewish brigade to protect the Jewish community and mass immigration to Palestine of up to 40,000 Jews a year. With the outbreak of World War II, Ergun declared a truce, which led to a second split. Some forces decided to fight with the British against the Nazi Axis powers. This group declared a truce and joined the british army and the jewish brigade the second group led by avraham stern was known as the stern gang or lehi they operated as an underground organization from 1940 to 1948 in december of 1943 menachem Begin became leader of the ergun Begin was a polish jew who had escaped a siberian labor camp in 1943 and made his way to palestine to join the ergun in february 1944 ergun declared war against the british and Administration. It attacked and blew up government offices, military installations, and police stations. The Jewish agency and their group, the Haganah, responded against the Ergun in a campaign nicknamed the Sison. The Haganah kidnapped several of the Ergun's members and handed them over to the British. After World War II, the Haganah realized that the British were not relenting their ban on immigration, nor were they helpful in combating Arab terrorism. In late 1945, the three groups, the Ergun, the Haganah, Haganah and Lehi reached an understanding to coordinate the struggle to fight the British. The unity of the groups was short-lived. In May 1946, the Irgun blew up the wing of the King David Hotel in Jerusalem, which housed the British-Palestine Command. The organization's cooperation broke up following Ergun's bombing because Haganah claimed that the attack had not been coordinated with them. After the end of World War II, the Haganah was the largest and most important Jewish military force operating against the British. On May 26, 1948, the provisional government of Israel decided to transform the Haganah into the regular army of the state to be called the Israeli Defense Forces or the IDF. When the IDF was established on May 31, 1948, Ergun and Lehi announced that its members would join also. Haganah and Ergun became the Labor and Likud political parties in Israel. The Haganah and Ergun have had their political differences since they were created to fight against the British in order that the Jewish people could have a national homeland. There was an event that took place before they merged themselves into the IDF that highlights the division and tension between the two groups. This division continues to the present day through the modern-day political parties in Israel named Labor and Likud, whose political roots go back to the Haganah and the Ergun. The Ergun had a boat, the Altalena, which had supplies and men coming into Jaffa Port. The boat The boat was laden with munitions needed by the Jewish defenders. The Haganah wanted to take all supplies. Negotiation between the Ergun and the Haganah ensued. No agreement was made. The Haganah opened fire on the Altalina, sinking the boat, killing and wounding Jewish lives and destroying supplies. The commander of the Haganah was Yitzhak Rabin. He later became a prime minister of Israel, and he was the one who ended up signing the 1993 Oslo Accords. When the nation of Israel was established, the Jewish agency and its followers took up the leadership of Israel. Today, their political party is known as Labor. The opposition party, led by the soldiers in the Ergun, became the opposition party to the Haganah and is known today as the Likud. Still today, these two groups are politically fighting it out between themselves, just as they did in the time of the birth of the state of Israel. When the Irgun blew up the King David hotel in Jerusalem where the British government kept their office on July the 22nd 1946 28 British were killed by the beginning of 1947 the British had decided they wanted nothing more than to wash their hands of the original British mandate thus it was becoming more and more evident that British anti-Zionist policy was not working and that a new approach was needed the Attlee-Bevan government came to see how impossible it was to carry out the British mandate with conflicting policies toward the Jews and the Arabs. Acknowledging a deadlock on the issue, the British cabinet on April 2, 1947, announced it was referring the Palestine problem to the United Nations General Assembly. This body set up an 11-nation investigative board to devise a plan of action. After several months of review, they recommended endorsing the principle of independence for both the Jews and the Arabs. However, they were divided regarding who. Should control what area. The majority voted for partitioning Palestine, advocating three divisions, an Arab state, a Jewish state, and an international zone in the Jerusalem area. So even though we've been giving you a lot of detail here regarding the history of the modern nation of Israel, going back to the political developments beginning with Theodore Herzl and then the events associated with World War I, World War II. War II and how the Arab opposition uh, against the British policy of seeking to promote a Jewish state and to allow Jews to immigrate with Israel set up an environment which caused there to be the number of Jews that were able to emigrate from Europe to Palestine or the land of Israel. That contributed to allowing Hitler to kill as many Jews as he did in Europe in What is known as the Holocaust and then I wanted to share with you these details so that you can see that the British were in the middle of a conflict between the Jews who wanted to return to the land and the Arabs who resisted it and the British did not have a consistent policy and so that's the background to understand why and how the British eventually decided that they wanted to turn over the whole process. Problem to the United Nations. And so ultimately from the committee that was formed in the United Nations on November the 29th, 1947, the United Nations General Assembly voted on the plan and their solution for the Middle East problem. And so that's when they voted to make a Arab state, a Jewish state, and then make Jerusalem an international city. So Following the Arabs then not recognizing and accepting the Jewish state when it declared its independence on May the 14th, 1948, the Arabs launched a war against the Jews, against the independence that was declared to be the state of Israel. And then there were succeeding wars in 1956, and then you have the Six-Day War of 1967, and then the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Three. And so all of these wars was because the Arabs did not want to accept the Jewish state and the presence of Jews in the region because they rejected the solution that was being brought to them and to the region that came about from the United Nations General Assembly voted to create a Arab state, a Jewish state, and to make Jerusalem an international city. So following the 19 19- 67 six day War the solution Following the war which Came in the form of UN resolutions 242 That was passed in 1967 And 338 that was passed In 1973 Following the Yom Kippur war That the nations advocated That there would be A two state solution To the Arab Israeli conflict And this two state solution Solution has its roots back to this 1947 United Nations General Assembly vote and their recommendation for the solution to the problem of the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs. And in the recommendation by the United Nations General Assembly, they advocated making Jerusalem an international city. And so the United States has not recognized Recognized Jerusalem being the capital of Israel following the 1967 Six-Day War because in 1980, Israel annexed Jerusalem and Israel has regarded it as the United Capital of Israel. But the United States and the other nations of the world have not recognized this and so they are still advocating that in the solution between the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that there not only be two states, which is what the United Nations General Assembly called for on November the 29th, 1947, but they also desire to see Jerusalem to be divided and to see that East Jerusalem be a capital of a Palestinian state, while West Jerusalem be the capital of a Jewish state. And so by understanding the history of Israel from Theodore Herzl to World War One, World War II, and then in to this generation with the events of Israel's War of Independence in 48, and then the war where the Arabs attacked Israel in 56, 67, 73, that will give you an understanding of why the nations are recommending the solution to the conflict that they are now, why they're advocating a two-state solution, why they want to see Jerusalem being an international city because it goes back to the original plan and solution that the united nations general assembly came up with on november the 29th 1947 wherein the united nations was given over to come up to a solution for the problem because before that time it was under the rule of the british and the british mandate and the british had committed to establish a jewish state through the Balfour declaration But the Arabs resisted the effort and then they did not recognize the declaration of Israel as a Jewish state on May the 14th, 1948. Now, the reason why the independence of the state of Israel was declared on May the 14th, 1948 is because this vote here of the United Nations General Assembly, that this vote that took place on November 29th, 1947, where they recommended an Arab state, a Jewish state, and to make Jerusalem an international city, that vote was to go into effect on May the 14th, 1948. And so the Jewish leadership accepted the plan put forth by the United Nations General Assembly and thus declared the State of Israel on the day that ended the British mandate. But the Arab world did not recognize this solution put forth by the United Nations. General Assembly on November 29th, 1947. But now, in our modern day, over 60 years from that original vote, now the Palestinians are saying they want to see a two-state solution. They want to see Jerusalem being an international city. So when they thought that they did not have to share the land with the Jews, that they had military superiority and could defeat them in war, they would not accept the United Nations General Assembly ruling, but now since Israel's become a nation and they've built up a powerful army, and the Arabs have not been able to defeat them through war, that is when they decided. Well, okay, maybe we'll say now that we are in favor of this two-state solution in making Jerusalem an international city. So even though so far I've been sharing with you a lot of details regarding the history of the modern state of Israel, beginning with the Jewish mindset and the movement that was started by Theodor Herzl to create a state of Israel, it's very necessary to understand this history in order to understand the mindset of Israel today and to understand the politics that are going on in our world. So with that in mind, let's continue to see what happened here historically when the British then gave the question of what to do with the Middle East over to the United Nations ending the British mandate. The General Assembly of the United Nations voted on November the 29th, 1947 to partition the Palestine or Israel area of the Middle East. The vote was 33 to 13, mainly the Western bloc against the Muslims in Asian blocs. 11 nations abstained, including Britain. It was to be implemented at the termination of the British mandate on May the 14th, 1948. This partition plan vote became UN Resolution 181. In Part 3, Section A of UN Resolution 181, the city of Jerusalem was established as a special international regime that would be administered by the United Nations. Thus, the plan of the United Nations for Jerusalem was to make it an international city. The Arabs unequivocally rejected UN Resolution 181, perceiving it as another step in Zionist expansionism. To maintain good relations with the Arab League, Britain also rejected it. Joining them, the United States State Department under Secretary of State George Marshall cautioned against the plan. In May 1947, the Soviet delegation surprised everyone by endorsing partitioning. In October, the Arab League began a troop- Build up in Palestine. President Truman of the United States chose to disagree with the Secretary of State George Marshall on the issue. Truman accused the State Department of having an Arabic mentality. Like most of the British diplomats, he quipped, some of our diplomats also thought that the Arabs, on account of their numbers and because of the fact that they controlled such immense oil resources, should be appeased. I am sorry to say that there were some among them who were inclined to be anti-Semitic. instructed the State Department to support the United Nations plan of partitioning Palestine. Many historians or commentators believe that this courageous action by Truman received the smile of heaven. That fall, Truman ran for re-election against the highly favored Republican, Governor of New York, Tom Dewey, and won. Truman later referred to himself as Cyrus, the biblical Gentile who in Persian times had assisted the post-exiled Jewish remnant in returning from dispersion. The Arabs responded to the partition resolution by carrying out their oft-repeated threats. Jewish homes and synagogues in the major cities were immediately attacked while the British stood by. Calls went out for all available forces from the Arabic states to mobilize for war. Arabs saw the British withdrawal as an opportunity to drive out the Jews and settle the immigration question once and for all. The Mufti came from Cairo to Lebanon to take charge of the Palestinian operation. In the late afternoon of May the 14th, 1948, the British kept their word and hauled down the Union Jack. Israel proceeded to raise its newly designed flag featuring the Star of David the same day. David Ben-Gurion became Israel's first prime minister. Haim Weizmann later became the first president of the new republic. Within minutes, President Truman issued a statement extending de facto recognition to Israel as a sovereign state. However, before the day ended, Egyptian planes were already bombing Tel Aviv. Most of the Arab states sent men and material to the Attack including Syria, Transjordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Yemen, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Additional forces came from North African states. The Arabs' initial attack was full scale on all sides. Confident that their sheer numbers and superior armament would quickly overwhelm the ill equipped Jews, their plan was to take Palestine's key cities within a few weeks and then quickly drive the Jews into the sea. From a statistical standpoint, an easy triumph was practically a given. The Arabs' overwhelming power came from seven nations with a combined population of over 140 million people. The Jewish remnant they opposed totaled only 650,000 in all Palestine, with no promise of backing from other nations. The Arab Legion of Transjordan was financed and officiated by the British. However, with divine help from the God of Israel, the Jewish people won the war and the nation of Israel was born. In May 1949, the new nation of Israel was accepted into the United Nations, recognized as an independent, sovereign nation. The 1949 Armistice Agreements are a set of agreements signed between Israel and its neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria. On February 24, 1949, Egypt was given the Gaza Strip. On April 3, 1949, Jordan maintained the West Bank, also known as the Green Line, and East Jerusalem. In 1950, Jordan formally annexed the West Bank. The move was recognized only by Britain and Pakistan. For the next 17 years, the West Bank was governed as part of Jordan. The Palestinians were granted full citizenship. Relations between the Jordanians and West Bank Palestinians, however, remained strained. Egypt's general, Gamal Nasser, was elected president of Egypt in 1956. From 1948, Egypt had closed the Suez Canal to Israeli ships. Then in 1955, she began a blockade also of the Gulf of Aqaba, cutting off Israel's access to the Red Sea. In Indian Ocean. Responding to this challenge, Israel again mobilized her citizen army in October 1956, striking at Egypt through the rugged Sinai wasteland. That desert campaign became known as Operation Kadesh. Once again, with divine help from the God of Israel, the Jewish people defeated the plans of Nasser in Egypt and Israel won the 1956 War. In the spring of 1967, following a vast military buildup of Russian equipment, Nasser again closed the Gulf of Aqaba to Israeli shipping and demanded that UN observers withdraw from the demilitarized zone. By May the 17th, seven Arabic nations had mobilized armor on three fronts, broadcasting their intentions to cut the Jews' throats. King Hussein of Jordan decided to join the fray, collaborating with Iraqi troops. He hoped to seize the Islamic shrines in Jerusalem for his Hashemite kingdom. When Nasser blockaded the Straits of Tehran and closed off the Israeli port of Eilat, he prevented Israel's only access from from the Gulf of Aqaba to the Red Sea and from there to the Gulf of Aden in the Arabian Sea and it meant Israel's access to oil from the Persian Gulf was cut off. The blockade considered an act of war by Israel was provocation of the First Order. Israel had already notified the UN Security Council that it would soon have to act in its own self-defense but the UN failed to enforce the conditions of the truce that had existed since 1956. Israeli generals Yitzhak Rabin and Moshe Dayan foresaw that surprise was their only hope the preemptive strike was decisive in 170 minutes israel's pilots had smashed egypt's best equipped air bases and had turned 300 of nasser's combat planes into flaming wrecks the egyptian air force the largest in the middle east was in ruins well that's going to conclude part three of the series on the subject the modern history of israel shalom in yeshua the messiah amen